So again, good morning. I recognize that um, today it's just kind of the way it worked out. We have different people on vacation, but I'm the only voice you're really going to hear from up here this morning. So you've heard a lot of me already. I apologize, but um, just bear with me uh, a few more minutes. But um, this is that time in our gathering, of course, where we open God's Word together and we get to study. And so as our young ones make their way to begin their new time with Trinity Kids, we want to have our time with Trinity Adults. That's the name of our ministry, Trinity Adults, right? Here we are. And may we uh, almost always act like adults because we know we don't always. That's all right. So we are still in our study of Mark. It is the Gospel of Mark that we are looking at, and it's simply called the Way of Jesus. And we say it because Mark in his writing style is really kind of getting us towards the cross. He spends a lot of time at the end of his book focusing on the last week of Jesus' life, but he's going through different events, different times that Jesus taught, and he's um, just quickly bringing us to the the last days of Jesus' life on earth. But um, until we get to that point, we recognize that uh, through inspiration, of course, Mark uh, has written down these certain events that are significant in an order that I think does make sense and is significant to us. And we'll kind of see that as well, the way things play out. But this morning we are in Mark chapter 6, just six verses. So it's Mark 6, verses 1 to 6, all right? The first six verses of Mark. And you know, it is always good to to get away. Many of you had the the opportunity to go on vacation. Maybe some of you are still on vacation, and that's why you're here, and that's good. And even when we're at work, it can be good sometimes to be on vacation up here, right? As long as we're still doing a good job. But... um, you know, we, we had the privilege, Claudia and I had the privilege of, of going away for a while. So two weeks ago, I was down teaching at Harvey Cedars Bible Conference, teach there a couple times every summer, and it's a great blessing to be able to do that. And that's sort of like a workcation, they call it a workcation, but um, a lot of fun. And then the week after that, so this is last week, um, we were on vacation and we recognized that we needed to get away because you know we've tried the staycation before and the workcation and those are good but you know when you're on vacation in your home what happens right you look around the house and you're like I got to clean that or I got to do that or even better your spouse or somebody in your family says didn't you say you were going to do that but when you leave and you go away then you avoid all that right and so back in July we had the blessing of a staycation it was wonderful but this time we Recognize we need to get away. And so we went to, um, we went up and spent four or five days up in Rhode Island. Beautiful place. Uh, we had been there once for a wedding. I was, uh, had the privilege of performing, uh, officiating a wedding for a cousin. This is a few years ago at a small little uh, old church uh, right on the water in Narragansett. It's so old it didn't have a bathroom, didn't have electricity, one of those. But beautiful little place for a wedding. But I tried to make it quick because there was no bathroom. So we said, you know, we need to get away. Let's not go too far, four or five hours. And so we went back up to that area. We had a beautiful time. Uh, Maybe during fellowship lunch, I'll share with some of you some of our experiences, places that we went and ventured off. But 
we, uh, what we were doing is we were not only on vacation, but we were celebrating our wedding anniversary, 27 years that we've been married. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. And we know every day, right? Every day we're, we're supposed to be thankful. And, and um, that's kind of what I was thinking about during the preparations for this message and in the context of this passage that, you know, we've been married 27 years. And of course, you know, Claudia is not here today because we had some family things that um, she had to take care of. And we have family coming in today for a visit. And they texted us and said about an hour ago they'd be here about three hours early. And this is our family we love that is usually three hours late. And so they're probably going to listen to this on the website, and so they'll know it's about them. But um, it's okay. And so we had to quickly kind of change some plans. But she's not here, but uh, regardless, even if she was, I would, would share and talk about her. But 27 years ago, we were married. And um, sometimes, you know, and you're in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or it's a, a close, close friendship, somebody you've been with for a long time, Sometimes it's like, wow, it's only been 27 years. And then sometimes you're like, it's been 27 years, right? It all depends. It all depends on the day. But, you know, we wanted to get away and celebrate the fact that we've been together for 27 years. And, you know, part of that, when you're in a long-term relationship, again, whether it's marriage or a long-term, you know, friendship or whatever, you recognize that there are people in your life especially as a spouse, somebody that knows you better than anybody else in your life. Even more than my parents. You know, I recognize Claudia knows me better. I mean, I've known her for 28 years, married 27, and I left home to go to college when I was 18, right? And so she knows me better than anyone on this planet, and she is my favorite human being. And, you know, you go and you do things to celebrate that. But see, she knows my heart. She knows my mind. She knows my true character and nature. Those people that are closest to us, they know things about us that nobody else knows. And sometimes that's a really good thing, right? But we have those people in our lives. Sometimes it's just that one person that knows the way you think, that can even anticipate what you're about to say or do. They know how you will react in certain situations. Even though I am not the same man that I was 27 years ago, I look a little different. I act a little different. I think differently. Why? Because it's been 27 years. Why? Because you grow, right? You grow as a person. You grow because of the people that God puts in your life. You grow because of those special bonds and relationships that we have. People that we have let into our lives because they change us. But one of the dangers that we all need to look out for in having those relationships, whether it's husband and wife or a best friend or a a brother or sister, even parents, is this old adage that familiarity breeds content. And the problem is this, that sometimes, just because of our nature, we can take people or things for granted, right? Because maybe we've known somebody so long, we can assume things 
or we can begin to take them for granted and all that they mean to us. And that's why celebrating anniversaries is good. That's why uh, when we do pre-marriage counseling, Claudia and I always say, make sure that you set aside a date night. Even if it has to be once a month because you have kids at home and it's not practical to do once a week, whatever. But once a week, once a month, just on a regular basis, you get out. If you're not married, you have those people close to your life that you need them in your life. You need to be with them. And so you say, look, we need to spend time together and be intentional. Because if not, what happens is we can begin to take people for granted. See, so marriage after 27 years, you know, you might think, well, good, then we can just kind of coast the rest of the way. We know each other and we know each other well enough. I mean, you would think so after a long time of marriage, but don't we also understand, no matter what kind of relationship we're talking about, that relationships still take work? They do. Why? Because we're sinners, right? And you have a bunch of sinners in your life. We recognize that, that we are not yet perfect, not till the Lord returns. And so relationships still take investment and they take continual growth, learning and growing. It's like that beautiful garden that needs to continually be tended. You don't plant a garden and then it just stays green and growing with no weeds forever. It needs to be continually tended just like our hearts and the hearts of our relationships. So we need to be careful not to take anyone or anything ever for granted. Because then we begin to assume that we know somebody. We can start judging people because we say, yes, we know who they are and how they're going to react. But don't we change over time? That we need to continue to to grow and learn about each other together? Well, that's kind of what we see in our passage for today in Mark 6, because very simply in these six verses is the story where Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. See, he goes back to the place where people know him the best. Even though he's been with his disciples for a time, he goes back to Nazareth and don't they know him? They know him well. And so I'm going to read these six verses and perhaps it's something you're familiar with, but Jesus goes back to his hometown and something particular happens and it really does kind of change the course of the rest of his ministry and we, it would be prudent for us to see and hear things for us to learn about our own relationships, not only those horizontal relationships, meaning those with the people around us, but our vertical one, the one with the Lord Jesus Himself. So here's what it says. Mark 6, 1-6. through It says, He went away from there, and He came to His hometown, and His disciples followed Him. And on the Sabbath He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard Him, they were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Jod and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, 
except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. But he marveled because of their unbelief. And so he went about among the villages teaching. So to kind of summarize what happened, Jesus went back to Nazareth, the place he had been about a year before. Do you remember what happened back then? Didn't they run him out of town? Wanted to kill him? Here it's not such that scene, but what happens is they've grown indifferent. And they kind of greet him with this greeting of, uh, isn't this Jesus, the little kid that used to run around? You ever meet somebody after a period of time and you're like, oh, I know you, you're just little Johnny from the neighborhood, right? Is that not so dismissive? That's what they were doing. They were dismissing the Lord Jesus saying, isn't this the carpenter's son, Mary's son? Like his siblings live around us. We know this guy. Who is he to be talking to us this way? I am sure there are times in life we've all said that to a sibling or a relative, right? Where they say something and you turn back and just say, who do you think you're talking to? I know you. I was there when you were born. I changed your diaper, right? We do all of that. I know you better. Who do you think you are talking to me that way? That was the attitude of the people in Nazareth that greeted him. That was the kind of greeting he got and even his disciples were there to see it. And it says that not only did they dismiss him, but they took offense at it. How dare Jesus, the little kid who used to run around, the guy who built my my dining room furniture, right? And he's talking to us this way with such authority? Who does he think that he is? See, they were judging Jesus on the surface, but also based upon who they thought. He was. And I think if nothing else, we take from this passage that we can think that we know Jesus, but do we really? It's an issue that we face with people in the world around us that are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus. They think they know Him. You talk to people about God and they say, I know about God. Or yeah, me and God, we're like this. Well, yeah, how do you know about God? And what you find most often is people have kind of put together this picture. It's sort of a conglomeration of all different ideas from philosophy and different religions and what they think they've heard the Bible say. And they say, okay, I understand who God is. But do you see the danger there? There are so many people in this world that they say they believe in Jesus, but is it the true Jesus? Now, how do we know who God truly is, we turn to His Word. His Word is the one that tells us who He is because He reveals Himself to us in His very Word. That's why we hold it in such high esteem here at Trinity. That's why we preach through books of the Bible. That's why we spend time studying to learn about who He is. There's a reason in our value, in these words that we value, right? In our core values, learn, grow, and serve, in that we start with the word learn. Because we need to learn who God is, truly the biblical definition of the true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God, and not a God that we just kind of manufacture, a God that we even 
design in our minds based upon our experiences. Well, God didn't answer this prayer for me, so therefore, I believe in God, but He's not one that always answers prayers. Why? Based upon your experiences. See, there's the danger. We need to go back to His Word and see what it says. If you truly want to say that you know the Lord Jesus, then you have to see what He taught, what He said, who we hung around with, and what all of Scripture says about Him. So what was the implication here? It said that Jesus limited His time and His teaching there. He even says a prophet is not without honor, so a prophet should be honored. But you know what? Everywhere except in His hometown and among His relatives. Why? Because they're the ones that always dismiss Him. Because they think they know Him. They think they know Him, and so they'll be dismissive of His power and authority. So if we think we know Jesus, it'll tend to lead us to dismiss what He's trying to do in our life, but also what happens here to His own friends and family. The people that knew Him best, they missed out. Look, they missed out on blessings. They missed out on healings and miracles. Why? Because it says in in verse 5, look at this statement. And He could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed him. Of course, it doesn't mean that he was powerless. But here's what it means. It means two things, really. They didn't know him. They didn't recognize him for who he truly was. So he left and it limited his teaching. So they deprived themselves of further learning about the Son of God. They lost access to Jesus And Him teaching them who He was. you see that? They lost that fellowship. Do you know what happens when a Christian sins? If you're sitting here and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are the consequences of your sin? First I can say, do not believe that you lose your salvation. But what happens is, we break God's heart and we break fellowship with Him. We lose That fellowship, albeit temporarily, we lose that close, intimate fellowship with our God when we choose in our sin to be disobedient. That's what happens when Christians sin against God. We lose that access of learning more about God. We might not go to His Word as often as we do. Or pray when we have that sin that is wearing us down that we continually and habitually say yes to and give into. What we're doing is limiting our time with Him. That close, intimate fellowship. That's what the people in His hometown did. Because it said He could do no mighty work there. Why? For the second reason is because they had no faith. There was a few. There's always a remnant. It said that except He just laid His hand on a few sick people and He healed them. But why is that so important? See, Jesus Jesus wasn't powerless because they didn't recognize His authority. See, God is God whether we recognize Him or not. And He is sovereign whether we act like it or not. So our experience in who we think He is doesn't change His character and His nature. You want to know who He truly is? Open the pages of your Bible. That's why we say you get into conversation with somebody, do you believe in God? Don't make an assumption that to believe in the one true God. They say, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, so who is this Jesus we're talking about? Is He Jesus of Nazareth, the one who claimed to be God? 
Are we talking about the God of the Bible? As I said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God, the one who identifies himself that way in the Holy Scriptures? You see, the people there, the people closest to him, they had lost faith. If they had it, they had diminished faith. If they didn't, see, they were blinded. Because they were assuming they knew who he was. That familiarity had breed, had bred contempt. See? Bred contempt because they said, we know this guy. He's just the son of the carpenter. And they easily dismissed him. But see, there was a lack of faith. So that's why it says he could do no mighty work there. Because if you remember all of Jesus' miracles, the people that he healed, it was because there was faith. You know what's interesting? We see, of course, that these stories are laid out for a reason. And Mark, just like the other gospel writers, they lay it out in order. What just happened? My friend John, my good friend John was here last week. I know he brought a good word to you. Isn't he so passionate? I love when he brings the word here. And I tell him, I say, you know what? Whenever you leave, people just keep telling me how awesome you were and and how much they loved you. And I said, just try to tone it down a little next time. You know what I'm saying? Because I love these people too and, and I'd like to come back. But see, he's so good and I loved it. That's why the last time before this, I was like, I'm going to have him come when I'm actually here, not just filling in for me because I wanted to hear him. He's so good. But I know that he brought the word right about the healing of, of the woman that was hemorrhaging, right? The disease. And, and then, of course, Jairus' daughter who Jesus raised from death. You know, like Jesus has that power and authority over disease and death. And before that, when I was here, we looked at he's got power over demons. You see Jesus' authority that he was coming and speaking about and preaching with and healing with the people in his hometown didn't recognize it. You know they heard about it. He just raised this girl from the dead and he just cured this lady with a chronic disease she's had for years. Why? Because they had faith. You remember even the story of the centurion, the Roman centurion, right? When Jesus healed his slave, I think it was. Why? Jesus said, you have faith. Remember a number of weeks ago, we saw the friends of the lame man. They, la- they lowered him down through the roof because it was so crowded. They had faith. And then Jesus looks at him and he heals his sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you had faith. See, there was a great lack of faith in his hometown. So let's remember that without that faith and that trust in Jesus, we're going to miss out on those blessings because we break fellowship with Him in our sin and our disobedience that leads us to have a lack of faith and trust in the One that we have put our eternal trust in. Just a final few words on this passage. You know, Jesus did then limit His miracles. It says He could do no mighty works there. It was because of their unbelief. They lost access to receiving more blessings. We don't want to do the same. Sometimes our relationships, we let that happen. Where they just become like, oh, okay, there's my husband, there's my wife again, there's my friend, there's my parents. Like, we take people for granted. Because we feel like we know them. Things just become kind of mundane, right? It's unfortunate. I can tell you how many pastors I talk to. So how are things at your church? Just going through the motions. Keeping the machine running. I mean, those are the kind of things that break your heart because a church is a living organism. We should be learning and growing and serving all the time together. But see, relationships need to, need to be tended to. 
They need to be invested in. And we can never take people for granted because people are eternal. God's Word is eternal. God's creation, us, people, we're eternal. We all live somewhere eternally. We won't want to live with the Lord Jesus. See, but things can just become mundane and routine. Even church. You know, in just a minute or two, we're, we're going to remember the Lord's sacrifice on the cross by gathering around the table. We pass out the elements, the bread and the cup of juice, and we do it because they're symbolic, right? And they remind us of the sacrifice. And we do it because it's a command. Jesus said to do this, did He not? He said for the church to do two things, to baptize, right? And to come around the Lord's table to remember His sacrifice. But has this, think even of this as we transition to our time here, has this, the Lord's Supper, become just routine for you? We do it every month on the first Sunday of the month. Some churches do it every week. I see no problem with that. That would be awesome. But you know what? Not to the the detriment of it becoming just so mundane and rote and so bland. Like you just receive it and you eat it. You take the cup, you say a little prayer, and you move on to the big barbecue feast. Because it can be so familiar. right? You come in here every Sunday and it usually looks the same. Same color chairs, the same pastor. Eh. Eh, right? We just do that and we do that. Eh. But we don't want to let things like even baptism, I talk about it a lot, you know, if you're a believer, Lord Jesus, you have not yet been baptized, what are you waiting for? Come and talk to me. Jesus says, be baptized. When He commissions the disciples, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them because it's an outward sign of a change that's already taken place. But we are called to be baptized. If you have not yet been baptized, email the church, talk to me after service, let me know. Don't let it just become, ah, it's no big deal. How about the Lord's Supper? Do you take it and truly when I offer an opportunity, when you hear the piano playing and there's just music that can help drown out sound and maybe help bring your focus, do you take the opportunity in those few moments to meet before God, to confess sins before God and, and one another and take it in the right heart and manner? Do we do that? Do we see what it represents that brothers and sisters in the Lord that we would not have New life in Christ if it was not for His death. See, it's the death of Jesus that brings new life 